Welcome back to Small College Conversations presented by Blue Frame Technology. I'm Jim Abbott, the founder of the business of Small College Athletics. And today I'm joined by an old friend of mine, Jeff Bain, the athletic director at Martin Methodist College. Jeff, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Jim. I'm excited to have the opportunity to uh, share with you and others today. And also special thanks to Blue Frame for sponsoring this for us. Well, you bet. Um, Jeff, I'm, we've known each other a long time, but I'm really interested in how you got your start. You had spent, I think, 15 years in high school as a coach and an educator before coming to Martin Methodist. So what, you know, what was it that, that led you to make that change all those years ago? Uh, that's a unique story, I guess. Uh, Kimmons Wilson is the founder of Holiday Inn. If you've ever read his autobiography on success, the title of his book is uh, For Success, Half Brains and Half Luck. And I guess that was kind of my short version of my story. I was a high school football coach for 15 years and uh, living in the community where Martin Methodist College is at the time and the high school football coach, uh, Martin Methodist was going through the transition from being a two-year institution for 125 years to a four-year institution. Uh, my uh, claim to fame that I enjoyed as a high school football coach was the building programs as opposed to, I had been an assistant coach at a program where we helped build it to be successful. From there as assistant coach, I went with the head coach uh, to a program that had been long successful before we, we arrived, uh, successful while we were there and, uh, and successful today. And I had decided if I ever became the head coach, I wanted to go build a program. Uh, so I came to this high school here in the community of Pulaski, Tennessee, uh, and uh, my reputation became that such. And when Martin Methodist College went from the two-year to a four-year, they said, Jeff, uh, won't you come uh, help do a blueprint? You like building things of what a four-year athletic program would look like versus a two-year. And what was really funny about that is that uh, I was very interested in another football job at the time. And one of the questions on that interview was, if you weren't our football coach in 10 years, what job would you like to have? And I had never thought about that. And my immediate response in that interview was, but if I weren't your head football coach, I would probably be an elementary school principal or a college administrator. And they said, well, why are one of those that's so different than being a high school football coach? I said, well, if I wasn't a high school football coach, I would do something totally different. And unknowingly to me, the next week when I got back to, to the community here in Pulaski, I got a call from Martin Methodist College and said, would you like to be a college administrator? Uh, I said, well, I can always get back into the head banging business of football. And uh, that was 28 years ago. So that's how yeah. I acquired being at the right place at the right time uh, when there was a need. Well, uh, I can imagine, you know, you were lucky to be young at that time and really probably naive. And I say that because I was when I started here. But the undertaking and the things that you have had to do, I mean, literally building facilities, acquiring land, building programs, you have started new programs. Um, so, so talk about some of those early days and then talk about some of those achievements that led you to do more and more and more. That's a great question because the early days were very uh, tough. I, I don't think I could do them now at 64 years old. Uh, long days, long nights. We literally spent the first year of trying to get everybody on the same page because everybody in the athletic department staff was the two-year mentality. Not that that's bad. It's just different, as you know, than a four-year recruiter uh, as that process unfolds. Uh, the evaluation that I found out upon being here was 
that there needed to be an extreme accountability process financially. Uh, at that time, our coaches had to go to our dean of students and beg for scholarship money for each individual student they brought to campus, student athlete. Then after they did that, they had to go to the business office and beg for uh, operating budget money to fund that sport. Uh, and so that was my first obstacle. The second one was that uh, all of our outdoor venues uh, that we participated in were city parks. We owned none of them. Uh, so our baseball and our softball and our tennis and uh, soccer, uh, they, had, they had no dressing, they dressed in the dorm. So we had two immediate things to resolve to move forward as a four-year school. We had to create facilities, uh, which we did, and we had to uh, explain and earn the accountability process of developing an athletic budget year in that would take care of it and scholarship budgets. Uh, so once we proved to everybody that we could manage those and could be accountable for it, then the little baby steps started to take place. But those were very trying times uh, to get things off and running. Because uh, I think it took about, it took eight years, I think, before we won a conference championship. Uh, we had a whole lot of runner-ups. In fact, we used to hang runner-up banners in our uh, gym because uh, we thought we may not ever win one. And then all of a sudden, eight years later, uh, we finally won one in men's soccer, I believe it was our first one, and then we've been on the road ever since. Uh, it's kind of just kind of taking our time, building the foundation, trying to get everybody to be patient and understanding what the big picture was. Uh, I know one of our coaches stood up after about three or four years and said, Jeff, we're never going to win a conference championship here. And, uh, I, and he was the first person I called when we won our first one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we got lucky and fortunate and won a national championship about 14 years later. He was the first one I called in to just remind him uh, that the process did work. And I appreciate him dying into the time. It was just a lot of lean years. Well, and and so somewhere along the line as well, you made the decision to add sports. Um, what what guided the thinking on that and what led you to particular sports? And, and I guess, how did you have to justify that on campus? Um, the uh, we have now 19 sports, and I think at, at the time we might have had nine at the time, so we've added probably 10 sport program altogether as we go. Uh, what came very unique to us, we were struggling in for money to get them, and they would say to us, You know, where's the when I'd ask for a budget increase, where is the money going to come from? And my what well, can I bring more students in? And finally, they kind of agreed if you can bring more students in, we'll kind of give you some money to run additional sports with. And that's where the incentive came. Uh, we uh, first sport we added, I think, was women's soccer because soccer was very uh, strong uh, in the area, uh, even back in the days, back in, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago. And we had good success with it as it grew up. In fact, it was the first opportunity that we've had to uh, win a national championship in women's soccer. Uh, then we kind of went in a little different direction. We brought in non-traditional sports. Uh, the first non-traditional sport we brought in was clay target. Uh, uh, Clay Target was big here in the rural area uh, in, the, in the high school levels. Uh, I forget what the name that they called them on the high school level. It may have been FHA or something to that effect where they had club teams traveling. So there was an instant recruiting tool there. So we began that program. Uh, we uh, began bowling because bowling was a hot sport in the areas that we could bring people into. And there we don't even have a bowling alley in our community. Uh, but 35 miles up the road, we have a state of an art bowling alley. So uh, we took advantage of that. And then the last one that we added on campus, uh, large significant 
uh, with our cheer, competitive cheer. Uh, and we just most recently added swimming because we had a pool. Uh, the past, we had not added swimming at all because it was not a conference sport. But now that we've changed conference and we're now in the Mid-South Conference, they have uh, swimming as part of their portfolio. So a lot of it was what student athletes were in the area and available on the high school level, and then also what did the conference provide. So we kind of had to play a game of matching all the, the checkmates to make it work. Yeah, it really is. Uh, there's a business plan that goes along with adding a sport. And for people like you and me, uh, the bottom line is, is what's important there. Uh, I, I remember hearing you before talk about funding even some of your facilities, um, convincing your administration that there are opportunities for things like junior varsity sports and more students that would generate more revenue. And I think your approach was to just ask for some of that revenue to, right. to accomplish the things um, that you wanted to accomplish. Now, you, you mentioned your coach who stood up and said, we're never gonna win a conference championship. And uh, people like you and me have uh, spent a lot of time, maybe more time than we thought we ever would hiring coaches. Um, talk about maybe the one or two things that you really look for when you're hiring. And then if you don't mind, uh, you know, talk about any steps that you take to retain coaches. Uh, I was asked this question recently with a, a student athlete that came into a survey on campus uh, from my office about uh, what the qualities of a coach that we look for. And I really had never thought about that to articulate out loud. It's kind of inner feeling. And I said, uh, I kind of have to fit the coaching style and personality that I perceive that person to have. What we need is the first step. Uh, a good example of that would be Eight years ago, we had a very young team and we had the opportunity to hire a very young coach that we thought was a diamond in a rough. And they kind of grew together and became very good. Uh, in fact, he was the first coach to carry our women's basketball team to a national tournament. Uh, he left and took an NCAA Division II job and he left with a very experienced team. So we were not in a position where we could hire a good young diamond in a rough where the seniors would know more than he or she would. So in that case, we hired an older, more experienced coach. So a lot of times you have to fit the uh, coach with the team at the time to maximize what's needed. But I think my real key asset, I have two questions I ask and statements I make with coaches. And I tell them to be successful, they always ask, what do you expect out of me? And the first thing I say, I want you to bring your coaching philosophy and your coaching style to our campus. Uh, let the other coaches learn some of your strengths. Uh, I do not want 12 Jeff Baines running around there coaching the way you think I want you to coach. Your personality is important. Uh, the second thing I tell them is, uh, you know, I ask them, how many people do you have on your basketball team? And they'll say, I've got 15. I said, you're the head coach for those 15 people. And they, I said, well, you're one of my 15. You've got to be a member of my team and I have to be your leader. Just like I have to be a follower of our president and his team. He's, I'm one of his 15. So everybody has to be both a leader at times and a follower at times. And every time, every once in a while, when I have a coach that kind of want to do something different, I tell them, remember, this is a time that you're a teammate now. You're not the coach, you're a teammate, and you need to do what the others are doing to make this system work. So I think that's been real valuable for us in, in reinforcing and reminding them uh, that there's two roles they got to play. Sometimes they're a follower and sometimes they're a leader. Uh, and so I think all that kind of helped make the process understandable and relatable to them when I talk to them like a coach. 
uh, I had a, one of our peers, Darren Wilson, as you know, told me one time, Jeff, he goes, you're either the best uh, developer of young people where they take a good job or you're the worst at running them off. And I said, well, I think there's a compliment in there somewhere because we've had a lot of coaches that started their career here and then went on to have institutions that they thought were bigger and better. Uh, and we're glad for them to do that. Uh, it's ironically that some of those wish they were back once they've gone at times, they think the grass is greener on the other side. So we've had a, all the successes that we've had and we've got, I think 80 something banners conference championships and four or five national championship banners. And uh, it's not me, as you know, Jim, that does it. It's the people that we brought in that have been here, head coaches, that's been able to recruit the quality student athletes. Yeah. I'll share something funny that you'll really understand and appreciate it. You may not know the name Kippy Brown. Kippy Brown was an NFL football coach. He's retired now, he's my age. Uh, he was at uh, Memphis State. He was a quarterback at Memphis and I was there. And, and we had a really good relationship together through the years. Uh, Kippy came and spoke at our luncheon, or uh, that I borrowed that idea from a guy named Jim Abbott in Oklahoma City. You may know the little luncheon that he has. Uh, but we have a Red Hawk luncheon uh, on the first Wednesday of the month. And uh, Kippy stands up and shows a Super Bowl ring, shows off everybody. He says, I'm one of four coaches in the NFL that has a Super Bowl ring and has coached an NFL team to 0 16. And he goes, and we didn't coach any different. So that kind of lets you know the coaches and our student athletes are what makes us, and we just give them the opportunity. Uh, and I said, you know, Kippy, that's a really neat story. When you say you've got a Super Bowl ring and you coached 0 16, and you still coach them both the same way. That's a great point. It's a great reminder. Uh, coaching uh, young people who approach me about wanting to be a coach, I, it, it's sort of, I give them the same response that I do young people who want to be an athletic director. I say, why would you want to do that? Uh, but it is very rewarding and fulfilling, and it, it's an important position. Coaches really have a significant opportunity to impact um, young people. Um, uh, I want to switch gears a little bit because one of the first times I think that I met you, um, it was really because of your involvement with NACMA. So you were involved in NACMA and you're one of the very few small college administrators to actually uh, uh, move into the position and be the president of NACMA. So talk a little bit about how you got started and involved in NACMA and, and your time as the president of that organization. The, the unique story about NACMA was uh, I was really saw the value and I learned this from another person that to gain credibility, you need to hang around credible people. Uh, and so if you take that mentality and the point that I really like learning from others you know, even though I'm 64 years old now in the twilight of my career, I still like learning new ideas to implement. Uh, it kind of gets excites me and, and rejuvenates me. And as I was going to a national convention, uh, NACTA, National Association of Athletic Directors, uh, NACMA, the marketing people, had their brochures. As you know, we get them in the hotel rooms and you're reading through them. And one of the presentations at NACMA, and I never knew anything about them was, their point was, it's okay to give away the ticket as long as you're selling the popcorn. And I go, you know, that's the type of thing I need to hear and learn about. And so I, NACMA and the marketing and the creative uses kind of got me excited about it. So I started hearing ideas, uh, Notre Dame and UCLA. I go, you know, those are really good ideas. All I need to do is just scale it down. And, you know, they're 
$100,000 project that's super great. We might could do it for $10,000. Uh, so that's kind of lit my fire into NACMA. Uh, then I started getting more and more involved, building my, my network, which is so important professionally, as you know, it's how we became great friends, you and I. Uh, and so as things matured, NACMA says, we need to find a way to help get into small colleges. Uh, we're getting tired of, there's, they said there's 300 division one schools in the nation and there's a thousand uh, NAIA, D1, or D2, and D3. We want to work our way into the small college market. And a good friend of ours, uh, Trip Durham, has really had started that at the time on NACMA. And so I was already active. And so that's how I got engaged with them at the right place at the right time. Uh, they were looking for a small college uh, administrators who could help break the ice and share the word and the value of NACMA to uh, the small colleges of America. Well, I. I... I don't know that I told you at the time, but uh, I will tell you again now, I guess, that um, it, it meant a lot to me, to me as an NAI athletic director to see a peer leading an organization like that. Um, uh, I agree that we often try to listen to a presentation from a larger school and figure out how it fits us, but to really have one of our people in that position, uh, it was inspiring. Um, I love your comment of be, about being around credible people to build credibility. Uh, you know, I think I think the comment I remember is you can't soar like an eagle if you're hanging out with turkeys. <laughs> Very true, yeah. And so I, I think Jeff in general, what I uh, admire about you and people like you is that um, that you have sought out those opportunities to be involved. Um, to some extent, the longer you're around, the more those opportunities present themselves. Um, that's not always true. I, I have peers that I work with that aren't engaged at any level um, from a national perspective. So uh, you, on the other hand, are uh, the polar opposite. You've been very engaged in national NAI committees. We just mentioned your presidency of NACMA. And so talk a little bit about what about why that is something you've chosen to do and, and maybe about some of how that might position you and your your university better because you are engaged at that level. I think we both nailed it on the head with hanging around credible people gave us credibility. Uh, I remember we were sitting uh, at luncheon one or at lunch one day at national convention uh, some of our peers were sitting around and we were, it was a, the athletic director at the time from uh, New Mexico State had sat down with them. And they, we all were circling around the table, introduced ourselves. And uh, one of our friends said to him, he said, Jeff Baines, our president. I said, he's from Martin Methodist. You probably have no idea where Martin Methodist. He goes, Tennessee. And everybody just kind of fell out like, wow, he knew Martin Methodist was in Tennessee. He said, well, I heard him speak last year at another event. And so I think the more you can get out and expose your university brand to credible people, you'll gain some credibility and value from it. And so I enjoyed doing that. Our, our college here at Martin Methodist gave me a lot of freedom to help build and spread that brand. Uh, as you know, uh, one of the first meetings I sat at, uh, went to a luncheon and they had our, you know, we carry our spouses, as you know, and the, there was three division one institutions there and their wives and me and my wife sitting at the table and I would, did not say a lot of, we just listened and we walked away. My wife Donna goes, you know, Jeff, they got the same problems you got. 
and they're sitting there at Division One school. So the interacting and exchange of ideas is just so much to generate my interest and to hear that the, the values that the D1 people, the relationships that they brought, uh, were, were so meaningful and meaningful and uh, kind of put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, I will tell the young people that may be listening to this, uh, you and I both have been in great leadership opportunities and we cherish them all. Uh, a unique one that I had that you mentioned was the president of NACMA. I've told several people uh, that I think that I could have used the NACMA card to get in the White House. Some of these things and the network that we built has such a great reputation and vision uh, that that it's, it's, it, it builds your brand, your personal brand, your network brand, uh, your institutional brand. And you never know that until you get out and, and, and hear and see what people think. Uh, like the process with these interviews helps build Oklahoma City brand tremendously along with Jim Abbott's and it's giving back to the community of people that helped us. You know, you and I, neither no, neither one of us would have had the opportunities that we have without somebody helping us along the way. Oh, sure. And, and that's what I think is so great about the profession that we're in is that we remember that. Uh, I actually have a personal goal of six people a year. I try to help six people, whether they're a student athlete, whether they're a NACMA friend, whether they're a NACTA friend or NAI friend, get their next level opportunity because somebody helped me get mine. And I, every year, I, I pretty much make that goal every year, but I keep chart of them in my calendar at year end. I think this year I hit number seven of people that I really work with intention to try to get them their next best opportunity, whatever it may be. That's great. That's a great example. And it's a great reminder. I, I remember clearly sitting at lunch with Larry Carpenter uh, years ago, 7, 16, 17 years ago, and just sort of sheepishly telling him that I think I wanted to be more involved. And I tell you what, that was about all it took. He said, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'll nominate you. And and all these years later, I, I think, you know, there might be a strategy for getting involved, but really I think the best strategy is just a desire to keep growing. Uh, if you have that desire and a willingness to stretch yourself because there is time involved and work involved in addition to your job, um, then there are abundant opportunities and you individually will benefit and your institution will absolutely benefit. So I, I, I just want to say again, how much I appreciate the example you've set. Well, well thank you. And you know, these professional relationships, if what I've learned is, and, and you're a perfect example of this, uh, the more sincere the professional relationship is, those turns into friendships. Sure. Uh, and that's another great reason why the athletic community and the athletic profession, profession is so valuable and so rewarding. And, uh, and, and it's, you can't put a dollar value on it, uh, the friendships that come out of it and the professional skills and network that help you and allow you to do your job successfully uh, are huge benefits uh, to make the big picture work. So, you know, young people, you got to build your network uh, and do things like that. You got to perfect the grunt work. You know, you can't be, I tell them, you can't be a grunt work administrator if you can't perfect the grunt work abilities, uh, doing the things behind the scenes to, to be successful. Uh, but uh, the, the skill set is is a, a mental toughness. Uh, you know, the old saying, be the first one to leave and the last one to leave is extreme value today of the ones who are going to really work hard. And uh, it, it's a, I wish I had 20 more years to be part of the profession, but you know, uh, I, I, uh, somebody asked me about taking a new job not too long ago. 
I said, you know, a young Jeff Bain would be perfect for that, but uh, older Jeff Bain is, is ready to kind of settle a little bit. <laughs> I, I understand that I can relate to that. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, I have time for one more question, and, I, and it sort of relates to, I don't know, looking back on your career, but what do you think, what would you think the one or two biggest changes that you've seen in our profession have been over these these 27 years that you've been at Martin Methodist? My personal opinion of what I think the challenge will be, uh, the, the first one popped out is social media. You know, that is, is is a drastically different animal than what it was when we started. In fact, it probably wasn't even around when we started being athletic. Oh. Uh, that's been a huge game changer to make a difference. Uh, you can use it to your advantage or it can kill your career, either one. You've got to really know and you've got to teach that to the young people. Uh, the, the other big challenge, difference, and uh, – opportunity, I guess, to, to resolve is the demand uh, that student athlete recruiting has been put on them uh, by enrollment. Uh, when I first got involved, uh, we were 35% student athletes uh, 10 years ago. Uh, I think we're 60% student athletes now. So for small colleges, the pressure that enrollment driven institutions have put on athletics uh, is really challenging. Uh, and the key to it is, is I think being creative on your campus to, to develop the traditional student that uh, is not an athlete. Uh, and so it's getting harder and harder to do that. So I think that's uh, two real quick, uh, maybe the third one I think you see and it's going nationwide is the geographic expansion of the conferences. Uh, you know, I looked up not too long ago, the Big East Conference well, the Big East Conference now goes all the way to Wisconsin and Indianapolis. Uh, that's not very east in my book. That's kind of Central America. And that same thing's happening in small colleges. Our, our, the geographic expansion is putting a lot of stress on the budgets and the transportation and the wear and tear on the student athletes. Uh, so at social media, uh, geographic expansions uh, are, are two really, really big ones. And enrollment growth has got to be under control at some point in time because all that's related to budgets. Yeah, the, uh, those are great points. I, I clearly remember when Facebook started and all the warnings that we got that, hey, this can, you know, people can put bad things on Facebook. And uh, I, I don't know that I share the story, but I'll tell you really quickly. Uh, I So I, I told my coaches, be really careful about what you do on Facebook. So one of my coaches naturally told his team, Jim Abbott says, you can't have a Facebook page. <laughs> So some of our student athletes started a Facebook page that said, Jim Abbott, stay out of our business. It was a group. And anyway, uh, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head. Um, Jeff, I feel like I could talk to you for several hours and I don't know if our viewers would benefit from that or not. I think they would, but I, I wanna thank you uh, for taking some time to share with us today. Uh, Thank you for the example that you've set. I, I'm, I'm so thrilled to see that you will be uh, entering the NAIA Hall of Fame. I think it's a no-brainer. Uh, you're a great representative of, of administrators in our organization. And again, I just want to thank you for taking the time to be here today. I thank you for the invitation. Like I said, I enjoy sharing. Uh, if anybody would ever like to have a personal conversation or an email, please send it to me. Uh, I really believe in giving back to this area. And I really appreciate uh, Blue Frame for sponsoring us and allow us this chat time. 
You bet. Well, that's uh, this month's edition of Small College Conversations. Thanks again to Blue Frame Technology for their sponsorship of this series and also to Jeff Bain. Join us again next month for another session. Thanks.